0: Thanks for stopping by the Carline Conversation Podcast. My name is Jason. In this episode, I sit down with my good friends John and Coralie Richardson to talk about their infertility journey. John is an engineer and Lee is a paralegal and they have two young sons. I'm extremely grateful to John and Lee for their willingness to sit down and talk about such a sensitive topic. I'm thankful for their transparency and especially their desire to help others by sharing their experience dealing with the physical, spiritual, emotional, and financial challenges they faced In their pursuit of growing their family. This is a very real conversation and very honest. John gives a detailed idea of what the fertility process can look like. They each share their thoughts on how individuals and congregations can be a blessing to those walking this road, as well as some things that, while well-intentioned, can often do more harm than good. Even if this is something you have not faced in your life, there are people near you who have. It's our hope and prayer that this conversation will be helpful. All right, John Corley. Thank you guys so much for joining me today on a very sensitive topic, but one that definitely I think would be helpful to a lot of folks uh, that we don't generally talk about a whole lot, and that is uh, the topic of infertility. So, uh, thank you both for being here today. Thank you for having
1: us. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here.
0: Absolutely. I guess let's just start with if you guys want to share uh, your experience. I know everybody has kind of a unique experience with this topic, and uh, they're not no two are really the same. So, if you would just give us kind of an idea of of uh, what you guys experienced.
2: We were living in Cincinnati at the time, and it was around 2011, and we decided we were ready to take that next step, start a family, you know, expand our family, and um, found out in 2012 that I have something called polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, Polycystic ovary syndrome is um, a, Genetic disease, basically, um, that causes cysts on your ovaries, which cause other issues on top of that, um, including infertility, weight gain, um, hormonal acne, um, et et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then we started going to a fertility doctor in Cincinnati, and basically in 2014, we're was told that the only option we had was IVF. Found out John was getting moved back here to Alabama, so we decided to put our IVF family expansion plans on hold till we got settled in Alabama. And then we started again. Went to a new fertility doctor down here. He tried everything again just to see if he could get it, something else to work. And then was told... No, IVF is the only route you can take. Um, We had a a couple of complications along the way, but July of 2016, got a call from our fertility doctor and nurse, and I was told that I was finally pregnant. And March 30th, 2017, Zachary Clark Richardson was born. Um, And then we had our second one, August 7th, 2020. And uh his name is Jude Thomas Richardson, or as we like to fondly call him, the feral one.
0: <laughs> Go back to kind of the beginning. Um, when when you decided to okay, we want to start growing our family here, um, and and can you kind of walk us through some of that experience, the the emotion of you know, the frustrations, things like that for folks that have that are maybe in this season of life or that uh, that may be down the road. Um, tell us a little bit about that experience, and John, especially from your standpoint. I'm curious, as, as the husband of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the roller coaster of going through some of that.
1: You know, for the first six to twelve months, really, you know, most doctors are going to tell you don't be too worried about it, right? That it normally takes some time, and so, you know, early on we weren't very concerned. Uh, you know, her uh, her parents had both, you know, both her and her sister are only 15 months apart, so they had. Had, had really no problem, so we were kind of expecting the same journey. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we, we started to get kind of concerned and just wanted to get another opinion. I don't think really, at least I wasn't very worried early on when we went to go see the doctors for the first time. Um, but then as we got further into the process, started doing the IUIs and started with the um, hormonal medications, it became a lot more difficult, right? I think we 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 reached a point um, that it, it became it became emotionally difficult to deal with things that had to do with parenthood, so for a couple of years, we did not go to church on mother's Day um because we just couldn't handle. Right, the, the talk was going to be about mothers and yeah. about children and all of that. And we just, we, we couldn't deal with that emotionally. And, you know, and then when we found out we couldn't do in vitro, that's a much higher level of um, medical complication for, well, for Corley in this case, right, as, so, you know, so as the husband, you end up in a situation where you feel both very frustrated because things aren't working out, but also very helpless, right? As As the husband, your entire contribution to the process is, you know, one few minute session at the doctor and everything else happens to the wife, right? It's the injections of the medicine, it's the the oral medicines, it's, it's all the process. So you feel like no matter what you do, you can't really equally contribute or help because so much of it ends up being between the medical staff and, and the, the, you know, mother to be, um, so that's a, it's a very difficult position to be in. Um, you know, and, and obviously not as difficult as it was for Corey, but, you know, for, for men out there, you know, I think it's, it, it's one of those where you feel, you know, for, for, well, and, you know, and the other piece is for me, there was some emasculating feeling to it as well because I, there were also kind of, um, there were also complications on my side that were contributing to the infertility. So when you're a guy in that situation, right, that's a very yeah. difficult place to be. And you have to work through and understand that this is a really common problem. And I know we will probably get into that more down the road, but you know, especially in our generation, you know, having fertility problems is not uncommon. Yeah. Um,
2: one in 10, yeah. one in 10, yeah. one in 10 couples. Um, go through infertility nowadays they're not sure if it's you know like the air we're breathing they're not sure if it's the food we're eating they're not sure if if it's genetics or it's a little bit of all three or you know so there's just so many issues and it's one in ten couples one in eight of those couples are suffering from polycystic ovary syndrome
0: gotcha that's a that's a large number when you look at Mm-hmm. And the percentage of people we have in this country, you know, in, in that age bracket, that's, that's a lot. Uh, yeah. That is, there's a tremendous amount. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you're going through that situation, um, what, what were some of the things that you, uh, that you had to navigate? Like you said, John, you talk about how the, uh, just as a man, some of the things now that you feel limited or less than in, in this process is happening to your wife, not necessarily to you as a couple. Um, how did you navigate through some of that spiritually? What were what were some of the, um, for both of you, I guess, on that, what were the things that you went through spiritually?
2: Um, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I was angry at first. You know, we did it all the right way, mm-hmm. you know, quote, unquote, the right way. And, um, you know, you see these people, you know, boom, getting pregnant, you know, without, you know, trying you know they weren't planning on starting a family and boom they're they're pregnant and John and I struggled for a very long time about we did it the right way the way God wanted us to do it and we are struggling and it's frustrating and it's angering and then we started voicing our concerns and one of the things um, a preacher to us in Cincinnati told me once was God reveals his plan every day to you and but it all depends on the day he may show you a little bit that day or a lot another day but he's always revealing your his plan to you you just got to be patient and see how it unfolds and so for me that it's hard because I'm a firstborn and I don't like to relinquish control <laughs> <laughs> and um born into power I guess. yes uh, yeah. exactly <laughs> I make the rules um <laughs> and it was hard for me to relinquish that control over to God to let him reveal his plan to me um So it was, it was definitely, at least for me, a very big spiritual battle to just relinquish control to God, let go and let God do what he needs to do in my life to, to make his, his, I can't think of the word now, um, (laughs) his ministry grow, you know, his mission grow. Um, and I see now hindsight, you know, I see now why he wanted me to wait the way I did. Um but at the beginning it was not it was not a good time.
1: Yeah, anger was definitely, I think, a equal struggle for both of us early on, right? Being mad about the situation, you know, looking at and and you know, looking at other people and being jealous of how easily they' had families and and being pregnant and all those kinds of things, um, you know and and then also one of the reasons that you know i I felt comfortable with where we were financially and and you know having good stability with my job, with her job, you know having worked hard to get there, but in our early thirties, when you're confronted with twenty to thirty thousand dollars of medical debt. Um, overnight if you want to have children. Um, or, you know, when we were looking at adoption agencies in the Cincinnati area, trying to make that decision, it was going to be closer to $40,000 to adopt. Um, you know, it was it was very difficult to deal with that as well, right? Because, you know, as as the guy that's trying to provide for his wife and make sure you're taking care of all of that to be put in a situation where you're talking about mm-hmm. You know we we either can buy a house or we can have a child mm-hmm. right i mean that's really the decision we had to come to when we when we were here um because you know our down payment on our house went to zach um and uh you know fortunately insurance rules changed for the company she was working for when we had jude um and, and we can get more into all the financial stuff later but um that is the other hard thing right as a guy is you feel like you're in a position where you need to be able to take care of your family and you've been putting money back for house, car, whatever your big expenditure is. And now you've got this facing you and it's an either, or is what it turns into. And mm-hmm. And how do you make that decision about having a family and compare that to, you know, buying a house or and housing that family. You know, right, right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. that, that uh, I can't imagine the, the you know, when you're given a choice there when one involves life and the other one seemingly involves a physical structure, right. you know, it, it's hard then to, to quantify. Yeah. That, that, that's uh that's not easy. During that time, um, were there certain people in your life that you really were able to kind of rely on and confide in? Did you find yourself, uh, how did that impact y'all's relationship to each other? I know you had mentioned that, you you know, mother's day comes around we're not going to church that day i imagine there were other relationship dynamics there that
2: were directly impacted Uh, could you speak to that a little bit when we first realized that we were not going to have an easy road to parenthood um like i said we were still in cincinnati and we there was one couple friend of ours that um we really latched onto the stewarts and um they even though they ended up having a kid while we were going through all of this you know they never threw it in our face and ever you know but they didn't pity us either like it's a very fine line of like being supportive versus being pitied you know and 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 that was what we felt like uh, sometimes is we didn't get support we got pity i don't need pity I'm already pitying myself enough um <laughs> could you could you kind of clarify those? I know it may be difficult to what
0: are some things that people said that you felt pitied and and it was more hurtful, and what are things that people said or did that were helpful
2: getting the you know the light tap on the shoulder it'll get better. Mm-hmm. How do you know it's going to get better? you know like the that that's more of like it's it's a more of a pity pitiful response than a mm-hmm. Here, I want to support you. Like, I want to pray for you. I want to, you can talk to me whenever you need to just vent and talk to me about what you are going through. Like, I want to understand. For me, that is support. I don't need the, God will be there. I know He will be. You know, I don't need the platitudes of, things will be okay. Cliches are not helpful. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't need the cliches. For me, that's just, they're not. Like I said, I was already pitying myself enough. I was already beating myself up enough. Like, what did I do wrong to make God angry with me to where I am going down this road now? And so we would ask for prayers at church sometimes when we were still in Cincinnati, and we would always kind of get the guilty seat shifting and the hand behind the neck type deal like oh they're talking about this again um and a good chunk of them are still our friends in Cincinnati and they probably didn't even realize that they were doing it but we didn't want the guilt we didn't want the pity we just want to hear how can we help you through this journey um not necessarily bring us a meal not necessarily any of that we just we want to pray for you or we want you to be able to talk to us whenever you need mm-hmm. you're going through that a uh, super extra tough time through this journey hopefully that makes sense
0: yeah, <laughs> I think so I think our, our first response as southerners mm-hmm. is, is though to bring you
2: know a platter of something to bring <laughs> right, a casserole to, right.
0: that's how we communicate when we don't have words <laughs> we got poppy seed chicken and it that's covers right. a multitude of sins so uh.
2: <laughs> poppy seed chicken is always welcome at our household there you go. <laughs>
1: You know, but I guess to your original question too, you know, for us, I think from a relationship standpoint, it was probably the first big test we faced as a married couple, right? We had gotten married in '09, So this was three years in really when we started figuring out that this was going to be a problem. And, and outside of moving, um, a year before that really nothing big had happened and the move wasn't even that, that painful because we got plugged in pretty well when we moved to Cincinnati, but. You know, I I think things like this are going to be, they're going to be make or break situations, right? Um, Talking to other couples that have been through this, you know, you've got some that come out much stronger from a marriage standpoint, and then there's others that it's, it's broken their marriage. So, you know, fortunately, we went into it together, working through it. And once we got past the anger with God phase, which, you can correct me if am I'm am I wrong. As a, as a minister, I feel like that's a very natural response.
0: Yeah, I also hate when people throw that as I a. Mean, okay, you can <laughs> you clarify. <Yeah. laughs> uh, no, but I, that's how you feel. You right. know, I mean, that's that was. Job had those same responses. I, I believe that we have a God big enough for our anger. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that you can live your whole life always charging God with things without then also being willing to listen and. Like with Job, when he speaks, uh, it usually comes with a where were you when, you know, Mm -hmm. so that that comes. But I don't I don't I don't judge you for that at all. Um, I've done that many times in my own life. And I think most of us as Christians at some point as humanity, we look Mm -hmm. at this higher being that's supposed to be all loving. And when we're in a, a situation where it doesn't feel like he's that close or, you know, that it's all loving, then then I think that is sort of a natural inclination mm-hmm. there. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm curious to hear how you obviously didn't stay in that mindset. No. How did, how did you begin to kind of walk forward from that?
1: So, you know, Coralie mentioned we latched on to some people in our, in our group, uh, pretty closely. We also had an elder and his wife, the Dugans that we really became close with. And, you know, I, I don't think they had gone through anything like that personally, but they were just very good about listening to us and checking on us and and getting us plugged into being active at the church too so we helped with the CYP ministry when we were there because we didn't have kids so we weren't in that yeah you know, that next right. bracket yeah. so it fit for us and we were not excited about teaching little children at the
2: time certainly for obvious certainly. reasons Yeah,
1: but uh, you know that helped us I think get our heads leveled and then when we came back um. I think we had a different outlook on how we wanted to approach the situation with our church. Um, You know, because when we moved back, we ended up going back to the church where we had been, um, you know, the first time we were here um, over in Decatur. And so, you know, pretty early on after we had returned, um, we went forward one Sunday and basically asked for prayers from the church for you know, what we were going through, kind of giving an explanation of the fertility stuff. We were going to be starting in vitro relatively soon after that and just asking for support. Um, You know, and and really, you know, once once we let God into the situation, it didn't go fast, right? I mean, it was still another two and a half years and a miscarriage and a polyp and a retrieval cycle, right?
2: about six months
1: well no I mean by the time we started we getting mo- less when we
2: moved back it was about a two-and-a-half yeah process. exactly
1: once we started getting but when we were on from the
2: time we moved forward correct went forward asking for prayers at, in the congregation to when we found out we were gonna have Zach it was about six months yes yeah,
1: it was about That's
0: six cool. months and but that was a turning point at least in yes felt like in, in yes where,
2: yeah yeah where you were so. Um, and I think it was I mean we're both firstborns, so it's we're, it's yeah. both. We'll talk about those dynamics. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> and I'm so an engineer, so it's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> that is triple threat. <laughs> yeah.
2: um, so it's really hard for both of us to relinquish control. And so when we finally let go, and we went forward, and requested prayers from our congregation, um, the the outlook seems so much brighter. And the weight of the world was not as heavy anymore because we knew that others were helping us carry the load. Can I ask you
0: maybe kind of an odd question, but when you came forward in that moment, how specific were you?
2: Fairly, fairly specific. Um, We um, had gone forward and we couldn't really speak it because at the time I think we were both just kind of silently sobbing because of, what we were requesting right. Right. um, and then our preacher at the time he read it, and he looked at us in surprise because we hadn't really talked about it, mm-hmm. um but we wanted people to really understand what was going on because how can you pray for somebody if you don't know what's going on? You can't just be May like God I be I need... with them yeah but i
0: I think I asked that question for that reason that you're you're getting to here, is that I do think a lot of times in, in the church cultures that we have in our congregations and in the environments there, a lot of people misspeak or don't speak. And they, it's inadvertent damage that's done. I think when confession is specific, it informs the, the person praying and it informs me as a brother in Christ on how to, or not to, mm-hmm. you know, to mm-hmm. things to not talk about yeah. in your presence out of respect, right. Mm-hmm. Or things that, it, you know, just better. There's a, a lady that goes to church here, and she is one of the sweetest humans on the planet. And I know when I ask her to pray for something, I'm gonna get two or three questions of clarification because she wants specificity, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I give her detail. Like, I need you to pray for this, and especially in youth ministry, we're, we're going on this trip this weekend, mm-hmm. but we need these dynamics, you know, mm-hmm. prayed about or whatever. And um, so I, I'm, it's interesting to me that that was. It definitely seemed to be a turning point in your personal relinquishing control, but it seems to also have positively enabled people then to better minister, more effectively minister to you right. um, in that moment.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, when we went forward and we were like, we're about to start this IVF prob- process because we do want to expand our family. We do want to be parents. We do want to raise children in Christ. We do want to, um, you know, be, you know, a happy family. Not that, you know, two people, just a couple aren't a happy family, but we just want a bigger hap- happy family. Mm-hmm. And um, our preacher at the time, he was like, you know, some, a lot of people like to come forward and ask for prayers because of something wrong that they have done. But yeah. this is a prayer for something that they want to go right for once. And that is such a refreshing yeah. I love uh, that. I do request. think that
0: we, we have turned the invitation into come and confess your sin as opposed to let's be in each other's lives, mm-hmm. each other's mm-hmm. worlds. Mm-hmm. And, and I think in these situations in particular where you know, you're over there just dying week in, week out. And, um, and I want to shift a little bit or stay in kind of into the mm-hmm. banner of this, this church, I, the congregation. Mm-hmm. There is so much in our churches that are geared towards family, mm-hmm. every analogy, you know, that in sports. So if, <laughs> yeah. if you don't have kids and you're not right. a sports guy, you gonna struggle. You know, <laughs> I, truly there, I say that in jest, but there, there truly is damage done sometimes. Definitely um, folks don't connect as a result of those dynamics. Um, you know, I don't understand not having a college football passion, but that's, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that, God, that we, we <laughs> we'll talk about that later too. Um, <laughs> But when you talk about uh, the just the way the, sh- the church is set up and the way the church functions, because families, and in particular young families, I'm, I'm talking 12th grade and below, you know, um, with children like that, that's a, usually a big chunk, a big percentage of the population of a congregation, so it sometimes schedules lean towards that. What are some things based on y'all's experience that, I don't know, you think if you could wave a magic wand or... Uh, you know, have, have one suggestion or maybe it's multiple suggestions for congregations uh, to to tweak their their culture. I keep using that word. Um, just how, let me start the question over. Uh, if you could change something about congregations and, and how they could be more helpful to couples that are going through this, are there some things that you would change? What are some things that we need to be more sensitive about or aware of um when it comes to just how the church generally tends to operate.
1: And so I think there's there's a stigma around anything related to right uh, sex and fertility and all those kinds of discussions in the church outside of like as someone is pregnant and then going to have their child, right? So we need to number 1 destigmatize that it's Difficult to talk about fertility and and that comes from someone who's had to live through and reach that point But it was amazing as we opened up about it. How many other people we ran into at work at church at Wherever that had been through it or were going through it that had used the doctors we were using, right? I mean it was Very eye-opening.
0: Imagine there's a whole nother community then that you find yourself a part of right uh, in that situation
1: and you know I, I think that if we if we approach it as just another thing that young couples could struggle with right we have a group here at madison that would really fit into that discussion right i mean the the group that's right below the below us i don't the young, young couples, married, no kids. yeah i yeah, got that couples means. no kids right and and even I know in
0: that that's part of our title we highlight no, no kids, kids right know? and it's it harmless in the sense that there's no ill intent but not harmless in that it could also be a reminder for those that are looking to not be in that group necessarily, yeah. Yeah.
1: But, you know, making it so that it's something that people are more comfortable to talk about is is difficult, but I think it's something that's important, especially as this becomes more common, right, amongst us, amongst the generations to come. Um, But, I think it comes back to what you said a moment ago about the invitation. I think in general it has become it very difficult in churches to talk about struggles in our lives whether it's sin or other things because we're just not comfortable going there. And so building relationships between people where you can share that more difficult discussion will help. Um and then having some kind of network at the church where you know of people that have been through it and will talk to others about it, right? Because you do obviously have a very different view of it after you've had to deal with it and and can be there to answer questions to help people when they've got a concern or to just listen to them scream, right? Because Mm -hmm. I mean, we were there too and we have yelled and screamed about it just in anger and frustration. So, you know, for Madison, we're obviously here to talk to anyone. You know, I've had friends at work that have talked about it with me as they've been going through it too, um, because we, we have to be able to, to share with that. So, you know, my biggest suggestion to churches out there is get it out there as a subject that's just like any other subject you'd cover, especially with people that could be in that group, work, you know, struggling through it. And then find people that are willing to be there as mentors for others because it's a very long difficult process mm-hmm. but one that you know if things work out well is obviously worth it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah I agree I mean for me and you kind of touched on it but um, I feel like in the church of Christ or churches in general you go from college and then all of a sudden it's a young young families group and then you know, the young Marys, the young professionals, you know, that aren't even married, kind of get lost in the shuffle. And um, you know, it's very family focused, which is great. We should be family focused, but at the same time, some of these people may or may not get married someday. Where do they fit in? Um, some of these couples may not want kids. What happens? As they get older, in their 40s and 50s, they're still in the marriage group, no kids, right. you know. Yeah. But, I mean, um, there's just a very heavy focus on family, which is not a bad thing. But it also, like you said, it does serve as a reminder to those who do want a f- family. Yeah. They don't have that expanded family yet.
0: Yeah, yeah I, think, um, I think we inadvertently marginalize some of our own people ourselves, uh, in different ways. We're a large congregation. So we try to find ways to be small. And we do that sometimes by grouping based off mm-hmm. of life stage or, or circumstance. And, you know, if you don't fit perfectly nice and neat into some of those categories, then, then it's Sunday's become more drudgery than, mm-hmm. than joy. Um, and so I think that what I'm hearing you guys say is one of the biggest thing is just awareness mm-hmm. and, and talking and being actually in each other's lives. And, sharing what's going on. So when you say how you doing, be prepared to stop and listen for a minute, you know, yeah, right. it's not just a, a courtesy, it's not a cliche.
2: Yeah. It, there is no it's not just um small talk. It's not hey, how you how, how are you? How's the weather? You know, it's hey, how are you? I'm here to listen to you. I want to know what's going on in your life. Yeah. I enjoy knowing what's going on in your life, no matter how bad it is because I want to be there for you right
0: if we if we claim to be a part of the deepest community possible that being in Christ being united by the blood of jesus, that's an intimate relationship, yes. then we should also pursue that with each other um, and be okay with being uncomfortable Yes, yeah, I think that's where a lot of the People call it church trauma comes from is that sometimes people just are trying to avoid being uncomfortable and then they make things worse and more uncomfortable. Yes. And we don't ever reconcile,
2: you know? And then, I mean, at what point during Jesus' ministry was he ever comfortable? I don't know. He ate a lot. So, (laughs) this is true. I mean, I do (laughs) like to eat too. Maybe there's some some (laughs) therapy in that. There's some southern in there too. That's exactly (laughs) right. Southern Judea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, okay. So for people who have never been down this road that aren't familiar with any of the acronyms you've used, <laughs> um, but they're curious, they're listening, they, they do want to be better at being there for families. Can you, can you share with us? And right now for those that are listening and can't see Corley's pointing <laughs> at John, um, I guess <laughs> he one, understands sh- the science <laughs> Share with us a little bit about the, the actual process about sure. some of those things and kind of how you guys were able to navigate. Um, cause you had mentioned even considering adoption at one point, yeah. you know, Go through all that, but then also um, for both of you, your perspective on how then, how can those folks help that don't, that can't empathize, but do want to, to be there?
1: Okay. So, um, you know, from a more technical standpoint, so they'll normally start the process with a medication called Clumid, and it's just a hormone enhancer for the the woman that's supposed to make ovulation more regular and potentially make it easier for an embryo to attach if it's fertilized. And so that's almost always the first medication you'll start on. Normally it's something that the OBGYN is able to prescribe. Um so you're not having to go see anybody from a specialty standpoint. And they'll try that for six to eight months. And you know, we we know we have several friends that we know that were able to do the Clomid route and, you know, four or five months down the road they had children. It was great. Really the only risk with Clomid is um it does make multiples a little bit more likely. So gotcha. you may get two or three blessings mm-hmm. instead of one.
0: Call it the BOGO
1: drug, right? Correct, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Buy one, get one, don't have to worry about it again. There you so go. There you go. um if the Clomid route doesn't work, then normally the next route is going to be IUI, which is interuterine insemination. I think it's intern, not intra. I, it's it's one of those two. And and basically at that point what they will do is the male will go in and give a specimen. They will run it through a centrifuge and basically remove everything that's not the useful live sperm. Um, then uh, they will track, they'll, you know, the woman will stay on Clomid. They may also add in some other hormone medicines at that point. Um, and they'll follow the cycle very closely for the woman. And there's a day that you go into the office and they take the Um, You know, the uh,
2: turkey baster. The turkey baster, basically. Basically. They
1: basically take a turkey baster and they inseminate with the centrifuged um, semen into the woman. And then you just go through a normal process of a few days later taking a pregnancy test and seeing if it worked or not. So that's really the next level of invasiveness uh, from a. Um, opportunity for uh treatment standpoint, this is really going to be the first time most people are going to have gone to an endocrinologist or to a fertility specialist because that's normally something that you're not going to have an OB do. That's going right. to be with a... More specialized. Correct. Yeah. If that does not work, then there's normally two routes. So there's there is the potential, if there's something physically blocking the fallopian tubes, that they could go in and do surgery to correct that it's a pretty low probability that it's going to increase fertility. And normally it's not covered by insurance. So most doctors won't recommend it unless they've got a specific reason for believing that's the only problem. So for women like Coralie with PCOS and and men like me that had issues as well, it made far more sense to just completely bypass the entire process and, and do IVF. So IVF is in vitro fertilization. What they basically do in IVF is that they put the woman on both oral and injected um, hormones and they try to cause as much ovulation as humanly possible. So they're going to retrieve as many eggs in this period of time as they can. So they build up over a period of a couple of weeks on these medicines just orally. And then there's probably, what, seven to ten days of injections past that.
2: Yeah. There were also other medications um, that not only were was I taking oral, I was taking injectables. I was also um, there were also vaginal medications that I had to take. There were patches. There were. um, I mean, uh, they put me on birth control for a little bit to time everything to the way they wanted it. Um, I mean, there was just. injections to help stimulate the ovulation there was another a trigger shot it was what they called it to make all of the um
1: eggs release eggs
2: release thank you and um you know some helped with um hormones some helped with um the fertility aspects some just helped with like other things, I mean, there was just so many medications. I think I had about like half a dozen fertility meds in a fridge at one time. Yeah.
1: So they, they basically time all this out. A lot of clinics do this either, they'll have like once a month when they're gonna have the doctor in to do all the retrievals or once a quarter, just depending on the place you go. Uh, but you basically, they time it down to that point. They, the, the woman takes the trigger shot and then the next day they go in and they have a small medical procedure where the the fertility doctor goes in and removes all of those eggs. Um, Then what they will do um, is they will separate each of the eggs. They will take um, semen from the man that had been run through either the centrifuge process, which is the normal piece, and they will uh, fertilize each of the eggs. Or if the male problem is significant, then they'll do, it's called XCIXSI.
2: I think it's X-C-S-I. Okay,
1: I-X-C-I. And I don't remember what it stands for, but they basically go down and choose individual sperm at that point and do the fertilization themselves. But either way, they fertilize each of the eggs, they watch them for a period of like three days, they determine what is the healthiest, best um, one of the embryos that has so far formed, and that will be the one that they do for the transfer. Then they will watch all the rest of them for another period of five days. And for those that survive that next period of time, all of those will be frozen, cryogenically frozen, and those become then future opportunities for um, in vitro. So, you know, after the three days, you have the the top candidate basically, and then they just go through and do the same thing that they do with IUI. They turkey baster in the. Um, the embryo, and then hopefully the medication has been timed right and the embryo attaches. Um, If that does not work, which it did not for us, then they can do frozen, what they call frozen cycles, and they basically use some of the medicines that they use for a retrieval cycle, but not nearly as much, because all they're trying to do is prep the woman's body to believe it's pregnant instead of trying to trigger it to dump as many eggs as possible but then they'll of course time all that out. And then you go in and do the, they'll unfreeze one of the other top candidate embryos and implant it. So that's how we ended up getting Zach and Jude actually was through frozen transfer cycles. Mm -hmm. Um, If those options, you know, if those do not work, there are further options. We had a set of friends that had to go to Nashville for even more treatment uh, where they get more and more specialized on, on the in vitro side uh, but really, that's where a lot of um, success is had. Um, I think it's like thirty to fifty percent of all in vitro cycles end with a pregnancy,
2: something like that.
1: So it de- it depends heavily on age and some other factors. But that's um, that's kind of the the mm-hmm. science as, as we experienced it.
0: So if you've never been through this, and someone is sharing with you that they're at that stage they're mentally physically emotionally spiritually exhausted yes mm-hmm. and and so the the sensitivities have more perspective now you know and and the when things are said that are hurtful it's exponential hurt because it hits on all of those levels mm-hmm. yes because you're doing everything you, you know to do you're you're living faithfully and i imagine each step of this process comes with an exponential amount of prayer and yet, at different turns, it can be still more disappointing.
2: Yes. I I uh, actually had a miscarriage, and we had gone away to Gatlinburg for the weekend. And I didn't realize I had miscarried. And thankfully, we were with friends at the time. Everyone was like, whoa, Coralie. You know, like, what is going on? I don't know what's going on. Like, Like, they were just... Just trying to be there, you know, like and be, you know, calming. And John was like, poor John. God love him. He (laughs) took the brunt of it. And then we get home and I start bleeding everywhere. And I'm like, what is going on? Because I had, we had already thought that that cycle had not worked. But it had, but it hadn't at the same time. Um, And... My friends from that trip, we all just don't talk about that trip anymore because it was such a terrible experience, not just because I had a miscarriage, but there were other factors too. But I mean, no one talks about it because I i went off the deep end that weekend because I was I was just a basket case, you know, just full of crazy emotions. Like my hormones were off the charts because they had taken me off all of these hormone medications. And so my hormones were going up Mm -hmm. and down in waves and it it was tough to watch. Even now that I'm looking back on it, Uh like I was like, that was, that was tough to go through. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you couldn't have put it better, you know, because that's what I normally tell friends who are going through this. It is a, a battlefield, you know, spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally. Um and all of those things are not helpful when right. they're strained, you know, to right. that.
0: And you're still also having to live life in every other respect yeah. as well. Yeah. Work and and everything. Yeah.
2: I mean, I was thankful because the job I had at the time, um, my boss had gone through IVF and his two boys were products of IVF. And thankfully you know, he understood what we were going through. And so he kinda he gave me a lot of time to just That's great. To go through all of that. I would show up to work at a law firm, you know, as a paralegal and sweats when I was going through IVF initially when they because to get all of these eggs out of you, like your body is building up fluid because mm-hmm. like John said, you're tricking your body into thinking it's pregnant. So you're just kind of waddling into the office um and I wore sweats a couple of times and no one said anything because everyone knew like it helped to just be like I'm going through this, guys because this is this is what this is the path we have to take to get an expanded family so give us a little bit of grace here and people gave it to us thankfully so um I think with you, too, like, you weren't always able to make it to every appointment. Not every one,
1: but, but for the major ones, my boss was really good about giving me time to be able to come. Yeah. So,
2: um, that's another aspect of being able to be open. It's like, this is what we're going through. This is why I'm going to be missing work. Cause, mm-hmm. And most of the time, they're pretty good about giving you grace
0: about, mm-hmm. okay. When somewhat of a positive of it being more common is I think it's touched more people. And so mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's kind of like other, other situations. If, if you've been touched by that in your family or you know someone, then you, you respond differently. You right. Know, you're, you're definitely I think your general initial response is more <laughs> benevolent and, and understanding. And so, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a few things people can do if they're, you know, trying to help someone or, or, you know, reach, to someone that's going through this and they haven't experienced themselves, right? One of them is, you know, I think Coralie's touched on it a couple of times, listening, but truly listening and being willing to take the anger and the frustration and the hurt and the crying and all of that that comes with it because it is a very emotional thing, you know, especially for the women because their body's being tricked into all kinds of different feelings that, you know, are, are crazy because they're trying to, you know, even just for a frozen cycle, they're basically trying to trick the body into thinking that it's like two weeks pregnant because when they get the embryo, it could be a far along. It's like eight to 10 days. So really yeah. they are almost yeah. two weeks pregnant at that point. Um, Emotionally at least it's right. right. So it's very difficult. Um, you know, the second piece is trying to be careful about m- using phrases that make it sound marginalized, you know, marginalizing it. And I think that's probably a problem for any kind of major activity. But you know, especially with this, it's, you know, not just the worst one to say is just relax and you'll get pregnant. Or I had a friend that stopped worrying about it so much and they became pregnant. Right. And it's like let go and let God. Right. <laughs> those are, are are wonderful things if there aren't medical things that are blocking, right? Yeah. But that we at this point knew medically if we just went with the good old-fashioned you know attempt at having children we were never going to have them so it's understanding what it is and what it isn't right and it's not that you have to be an expert on all of the craziness I talked about five minutes ago but just understanding the basics of this is a medical condition no different than you know the diabetes or other things that people are used to right there are medical procedures that handle it and there's medical procedures that can give good outcomes to a lot of people it's not going to solve it for everyone right there are people that go through all of this and don't have children and then I'm having to look at adoption or other options if they want to have children um you know there are people that see this and choose adoption so understanding that people have got to make some really hard decisions as they come up to this point right because you know unless your company covers um fertility treatments at some level and, and more and more are starting to. But when we had Zach, neither of our companies did, right? You're, you're having to make a very large financial decision too. And so understanding that even when it comes to things like, well, why isn't, you know, why isn't John going to guys night this week? Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that $40 is going to the fund for having a kid. And and it's, it's just understanding and being there and just listening is is the biggest piece just listening and not the you know 30 seconds how are you let's talk about you know the the football game or whatever else afterwards it's understanding it maybe a 10 or 15 20 minute conversation um you know just like people that are struggling with other medical conditions and and just knowing you may not understand it but being there and praying for them and and looking for ways you can really help right we had a f- set of friends that brought us dinner the night uh, that her retrieval cycle had right? They did the retrieval for for all the eggs. And it was just a little something, but it took pressure off of us that night.
2: Um, I know this is a taboo in the church too, but like not so much this church. And I applaud this church for not making it such a taboo subject, but like mental health, if you are just at a point where friends are just not cutting it, it is okay to go to a counselor. It is okay to go to a psychologist. It is okay to seek third party help to help with talking it out, finding ways to process things in a healthy manner. And that was something that I felt like I've seen some churches not do well. Mental health is, you know, well, You wouldn't have mental health issues if you trusted God, you know, type things. But it is okay to go see a mental health counselor. I think God has provided mental health counselors for a reason. And, you know, if you're just like, I can't just talk to a friend. I need professional help. That is okay. Um, So being able to tell your friend, you know who may be going through something similar that we're going through. You may want to talk to somebody professionally you may come off as mean and like no, you're just blowing it off. no, it's okay. you know, seeking professional help and i and I honestly think I would have been able to process things better had I gone to a um counselor or something like that or someone similar to help me process all my f- Feelings much better but I didn't and I struggled I struggled and that's why I think it took us so long to go forward and ask for prayers and to let go to let God do what he needed to do in our lives
0: gotcha. any other advice you would give or encouragement you would give to families that may be listening to this in, in the midst of it right now
2: we're with you I mean there's so many of us out there who are struggling, who desperately want a family and it is not an easy road to take and it is hurtful and depressing and frustrating especially when you see other families out there with kids running around but we're here to listen and to love you and to support you and to do whatever you need us to do, even if it's just to lay our hands on you and pray over you. Whatever it is, we are here. Seek a counselor if you need to. Talk to your nurse or your doctor who is has helped treating you. See what other options are there for, like, mental health um, options, the and don't be shy to talk about it because there's more of us out there than you think there are.
1: I was going to say, uh, I think the biggest one is, is what you mentioned there at the, at the end Coralie is, you know, this is such a common thing now that, you know, it, start reaching out and you'll find a lot of people that are, have gone through it or are going through it or are thinking about it. Um, understand that it's going to be, it's going to be a physical and emotional, a, A mental and financial and spiritual toil toll so look for all the resources you can right find out from your company's hr what the policies are where they will and won't cover get specific right they were when we were looking at zach stuff they would cover iuis but they wouldn't cover ivf so understand where the coverage is how the coverage works i know now for my company it's a lifetime amount, but they'll cover up through in vitro up to that lifetime amount. Um, but you have to go through a certain network of doctors. So it's understanding those processes, um, and, and just getting the best understanding of what you can and cannot do through your coverages, understanding then what that means, look at things like the shared risk programs where, um, you pay a little more upfront, but it means that the doctor guarantees so many attempts. And so, basically, the faster the doctor can get you pregnant and you have a successful birth, the better off they do, but it puts risk on them after a couple of cycles. If it doesn't work, then you're basically getting free attempts until you get to an outcome um, and And so you know that's the analytical engineer side of me coming out. <laughs> but in the end, you know find people that are willing to listen, you know. Who those friends are already in your life and reach out to them and like Corley said if that's not giving you the peace you need you know find a counselor find a, a minister that's willing to just sit there and talk with you so that you can get to a point where you are I'm not gonna say you're comfortable because you're never gonna be comfortable through the process but where at least you feel like you've reached a point of peace with the process you're going through And understand in the end that there are a lot of different ways that this ends, whether it ends early on because COVID works or it ends in vitro because that works. Or if you decide, you know, as you go down that road to not have children or to do it, to adopt or whatever you do, it's not something that's going to last the rest of your life, no matter how much it feels that way. Because there are days where it feels like you are never going to stop doing this, but you will. And. Almost, you know, all of those outcomes when you reach your peace with it are good ones for your family. And so, you know, for us, we've been very blessed with the way it turned out with our boys. Um, but, you know, if if you feel like you're alone out there, and just reach out to Jason and you can get our contact info and we are more than willing to sit down and talk with you and pray with you and cry with you and whatever else because... I I've had to choke I've choked up a couple of times just thinking to back through it and it's yeah, been I'm it's been six years since we really five, seven years since we really made the decision on which direction we were going to have to go to have kids so it's, it lasts but it's a ministry now too where we can reach out and, and help others that are facing the same problems.
0: Well I want to thank you both again very much this is obviously a, a heavy topic, a very personal, um, deeply, deeply sensitive topic. But as we've talked about, one that needs to be talked about, one that needs to be, people need to know that there are other folks out there. They're not in a lifeboat by themselves, floating, isolated. There are other people that can empathize and that want to be there to walk through those valleys together. And uh, in the context of all of this, in the backdrop is is God mm-hmm. at work. Um, and, and doing different things, like you said, revealing his will in different ways and at different times. Mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, you guys allowing yourself to be used in this way uh, as a support, as a resource is tremendous. So thank you both very much for, for sharing today. And I thank you everyone for listening. Hope that this conversation has been helpful. Hey, thanks again so much for listening to this episode of the Carline Conversation Podcast. If it's been helpful to you, please follow and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening It also helps if you'll take a moment to rate the show. It goes a long way to grow in the podcast. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share or suggestions for future topics or guests, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or email. Thanks again for stopping by, and we'll see you on the next episode of Carline Conversations.